Want to try that one more time? Do or do not. There is no try. Did you hear that? Do or do not, there is no try. Thank you. We can be done with him for the moment. Um, it's different being up here than being down there on a Sunday morning. Um, but it's wonderful to be with family and friends together to be in his word. Do or do not, there is no try. These are words of wisdom and challenge from Yoda to Luke Skywalker at the beginning of his journey. It was in the second of the Star Wars movie, or the fifth in the series, depending on how you count it. And if you don't understand that, ask a Star Wars fan, okay? But I wonder, have you ever considered the number of things in our scriptures, in our Bibles, where we can actually pretty accurately apply his wisdom. Do or do not, there is no try. For instance, as we look at the Ten Commandments, I've looked again recently, I can't find the word try in do not murder, do not steal. None of them have try in them. When the Lord was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? I remember this from the Gospel of Mark because I can remember the reference. Mark 12.30, it's about lunchtime. He's a little late for lunch. I can remember Mark 12.30. Mark it. Mark these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say try to. Do it, right? Or how about forgive others and you will be forgiven? That's in Luke chapter 6. Or where we'll be next week in Luke chapter 17. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. doesn't say try to forgive him. It says forgive him. Now, honestly, I hadn't thought about this until preparing for this message about applying Star Wars wisdom to God's Word, but I think it pretty, fit, pretty well fits. There, there are exceptions. This morning we're going to be meeting two men. We'll find the first one rejects Yoda's wisdom. And he ends up, because he tries, he ends up doing not. Okay? Our second man chooses to do. Okay? Both of these men... They're not terribly significant to us as individuals, but what we learn of Christ and our relationship with him through their meetings with Christ, for me it's very challenging, very challenging. It's also very encouraging. We find encouragement there. So, if you will, let's pray together as we open his word. And it's very interesting as Dave stood up and shared his what he took from what stood out to him this morning from the music we sang. Ponder what the Lord is able to do. That's the same thing that stood out to me. And it's, I'll cheat and tell you ahead of time, it's the main point of what we're going to look at today. We should ponder what our Lord, what our God is able to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears, that you prepare us, Lord, to be humble, 
that you prepare us to hear, to understand, to trust, and to respond to your truth. Trust and respond for your glory, Lord, for our good, for our benefit, your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday we finished chapter 16 of Luke. We looked at two men. One was rich, one was poor. This morning we're going to jump ahead to Luke 18. We'll start in verse 18 of chapter 18 of Luke. We're going to be back to 17 next week. Okay? This morning we're not going to try to jump ahead. We're just going to do it. Okay? Okay? If you're, if you're using one of our church Bibles, it's on page 877 this morning. This is where we'll begin. I particularly appreciate this first man we'll be looking at. And I particularly appreciate him because I don't have to remember his name. And I'm terrible at names. I don't have to remember it because we're not told what it was. So I'm in good shape. Okay? He's what I call, referred to as our do not man. And look, let's look first just at verse 18 of chapter 18. A certain ruler asked him, and him, of course, is Christ. He's just been blessing little children. Apparently, he's preparing to leave from there, and this man comes up to him. A certain ruler asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It will be obvious to us in just a few minutes, if it's not already, if you're not familiar with this passage. be obvious to us this man was a Jew. He believed he was an obedient Jew. He believed he obeyed the law. He was also very wealthy, but he has this question. And it seems he's really anxious about this. He he wants an answer to this because if we read a parallel, if we took the time to read a parallel passage in Mark for the same issue, Mark tells us this man ran up to Christ, knelt before him. He got down on his knees apparently before him and looked up and asked him this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Consider that. Think of somebody asking you that question. How would you answer it? What do you need to do? What does someone need to do? What do we need to do? Do you know the answer to that? Are you sure? Let's look at Christ's response. Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. What kind of answer is that? You ever get stuck with that when you're reading Scripture? I mean, the man's question is extremely clear. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What does the Lord's response, it's hardly an answer at all, it's a question. Why do you call me good? And then he answers the question, no one's good except God himself. You ever feel like that when you're reading Scripture? Some of my Best times of prayer is when I just sit down to read and listen and I run into something like this and I say, Lord, I don't get it. Why don't you just tell him the answer? What am I missing here? And then I love it when one of the apostles, and it's usually Peter, asks the question, Lord, we don't get, we don't understand. Help us understand. Uh, Thank you, Peter. You know, ah, he doesn't always do it. In this case, he didn't do it, right? Not yet, anyway. But we have an advantage over this rich man, okay? Because we know something that he didn't know yet. 
we know that Jesus is God. So when the man comes up and asks, good teacher, and he responds, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He's God. Right? We know that. We know it from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Later in John, Christ said, the Father and I are one. Again, later he says, if you know me, you know the Father. We know from other places in Scripture as well, Jesus is God. We also know this do-not man of ours. He didn't have the advantage of having read the Gospel of John. hadn't been written yet. He didn't know who Jesus was, but obviously he expected he was a wise man and a man who could answer his questions. But still, it seems Christ is, is giving him at least something to think about here. We don't see his response. Christ doesn't apparently give him time to respond to the question and statement because he just continues with what appears at first, I'm sure it appeared to this man, as being the actual answer to his question. Look at verses 20 and 21. You know the commandments. Christ continues. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, verse 20. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father. And the man responds, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Hmm. You notice, this is half of the Ten Commandments, right? And the man's response makes it perfectly clear to us that he was Jewish, okay? And he considers himself an obedient Jew. He's followed the rules in his opinion. Maybe that's why Christ asked him, why do you call me good? Maybe it's to challenge his understanding of what's good and what's right and what's holy. Maybe that should challenge our understanding of what's, God, what's good. Only God is good, and that hasn't changed. We only kind of think we're good sometimes. Hmm. Just a simple little statement, something to consider. But we haven't really gotten to Christ's answer to the question yet. And his answer, as it's coming shortly, it's very challenging even for us today. At least it's challenging for me. If it isn't challenging for you, maybe we ought to switch places, right? Because this is a challenge. Look at verses 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Is this the answer you'd expect? Remember the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. How many did that when you first trusted Christ? I can't raise my hand because I know I didn't, right? For me, you know, this is the third strike for me. Three times I expected a different response from Christ than what he's given us already in these few short verses. I've missed every one of them. Okay? What is this sell everything? Besides, that's not even true, is it? Why would Christ say this when it's not true? We don't have to sell everything and give it all away, right? We just have to what? Trust Christ. Accept Him as our Savior. That's all we have to do, right? That's all we can do. We can't do it. 
Are you sure? Is he wrong here? I mean, he is Christ. How can he be wrong? Think back a month ago. I didn't ask Dave if I could borrow some of his wisdom from this, but a month ago, a month ago today, February the 5th, we were in Luke chapter 14. Dave's title of Dave's message was The Making of a Disciple. And he read Luke 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does... This is, these are Christ's words. Luke 14, 33. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Hmm. Dave summed it up at the time, a month ago, and he says a disciple gives up everything. That sounds kind of like sell everything and give it to the poor, doesn't it? Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Oh. Hmm. You see what I mean about challenging this morning? When I first read this passage in preparation for this, I read sell, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Well, yeah, okay, what's the point here? As I dug a little deeper... Not that it's new to me, but it's been refreshed in my heart. Now, I'm confident Christ is not telling us today that we have to sell, literally sell everything we own and give it away in order to spend eternity with him in heaven or spend our time in our kingdom of God. And I think that will be clear if it isn't already as we work through this morning. But let's look at his answer again. There's something more than just the selling and giving in Christ's answer. I wonder if you saw it or I wonder if you heard it the first time. I wonder if the rich man heard it. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, that the man said he's kept these laws, and he thinks he has, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Did you hear it this time? Those last three words. Come follow me. Christ invited this young man to follow him. I'm wondering if this young ruler even heard those words or he's stuck with the selling everything. I suspect he was stuck with the I can't give it all up. I have too much. How can I give it all away? See, this is another one of these parallels we find in the Luke 14 passage. Christ has invited him, follow me. He says, just leave the stuff of the world behind. Just walk away from the stuff you have. There's nothing significant about it at all. Just walk away and follow me, Christ says. In Luke 14, again, the passage they shared a month ago, he read Christ's words, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, to borrow from Dave, he summed it up. For the disciple, Christ is a higher priority than everything. And is that not what Christ is saying right here? Sell it, give it all away, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Christ needs to be our highest priority. This is a distracting world that we live in. It's hard to keep him number one priority, isn't it? Do you remember that message from a month ago? That was only four weeks ago. 
How's it working for you? How has that message from Luke 14 impacted your life in this last month? You know, actually, partly because I knew, I'm sure, significantly because I knew what I would be preaching on here this morning, I'm sure that had an impact on Dave's message, Christ's message to us, the Lord, through Luke 14. I've been praying a lot about that. Has that stuck with you? God's giving us another chance to hear it again. How many times have any of us learned, really learned something important by hearing it once? I think God knows that. We need to hear it over and over and over again. And we get to hear it again this morning to remind us, maybe I ought to go back and look at 14 again and look at 18 and consider what kind of priority is Christ in my life? What have I changed from it? Honestly, I haven't changed anything that I know of yet other than my prayer life. And I'm thinking, okay, what can I change? I'm open. I hope. I want to be open. Consider that. Consider that. We find this truth in many places in Scripture, not just in these passages. Even one of those very simple verses that we we use, I'm sure you've used it to share the gospel with people. If they want to know, if they want to come to know the Lord, if they want to be a Christian, what do you have to do? A lot of times I'll go to Romans 10.9. I love that passage. I love that verse. Okay. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So simple. All we need to do is trust, right? But what are we trusting when I do share that passage and somebody is interested and wants to talk about it all, all, at all, I will ask them, what do you suppose it means to confess Christ as Lord? And often I'll get a response, well, he's Lord. I know he's Lord, that's fine. Says, what do you suppose Lord meant to the people of Christ's day? What did that word mean? He said, well, it meant Lord. Actually, it means owner our master. So that simple verse, if we agree that Christ is our Lord, we are agreeing that he owns us, that he is our master. If he is my master, I have to, if I recognize him as my master, I recognize I belong to him. If I belong to him, all that stuff that I've got, that's his too, isn't it? He can do anything he wants with me. He can do anything he wants with all that stuff in my life. And that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. That's where he wants us to be. That's what's what's good for us to be there. You know, Paul opens his letters to the Romans. He opens his letter to the Philippians. Paul or Paul and Timothy, servant or servants of Christ Jesus. A servant, a slave. Just to focus on the fact that he is committed to belonging to Christ. So this, so to, for Christ to tell this young ruler to sell everything and give to the poor, that doesn't really seem so different anymore, does it? That's what he tells us every place else in Scripture. For this particular man, it was very specific because of where he was putting his trust, and it was obvious. But I find this to be a challenge because I really want this to be true of me. I trust him as my Lord. I want to trust him more. 
I haven't been tested in every way, so I don't know. Perhaps there are areas, I know there are areas, I don't know what they are, where I don't trust him enough. But if, so if this is challenging to you as well as me, we can be encouraged by what we continue to see as we read through the rest of this passage and then we'll go to Zacchaeus in chapter 19 in a moment. But we see here we can all praise our Lord, our God, for His grace and His mercy and His patience with us. He invites us to follow like He did this man. He invites us to follow even when our trust and our love and our obedience is really so shallow. So shallow. Not nearly as deep and sincere as it should be. He still invites us to follow Him. Thank you, Lord, for that. Let's read the rest of this passage uh, from verses 24 to 30. He had just... The, the man had just said... He heard Christ's challenge of selling everything and he was very sad because he's a man of great wealth. In verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age, this age, and in the age to come eternal life. There's encouragement there for us, and we'll get to that in a moment. There's also another question. Why is it so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? Remember, In the book of Revelation, Christ's words to the church of Laodicea, remember those words? They're hard words to hear. He said to the church of Laodicea, For I say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are, you ready for this? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. These people were wealthy, well to do. They thought they had everything in control. They're good people in their eyes. God sees them as wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa. For those who are rich, it can feel like they can buy anything they need. They can control whatever they need to control because they're wealthy and they have a lot of influence. Right? They don't need to depend on... What do they need to depend on God for? You need something, you buy it. You need something, you get somebody to do it for you. Right? You know, most of all of us in here aren't very far from that. Right? For most of things, most of the time, we can pretty much get what we need and a whole bunch of what we want. We don't need to depend on God for it, do we? When when Christ was asked to, to teach us to pray, He said... Give us today our daily bread. We're supposed to ask for our daily bread. I've got a month's worth of food at home. What do I need? A day's worth of bread. We don't need that stuff, do we? We are in desperate need, even when we don't see it and feel it. And let's not forget the question that started all of this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And the answer, the final answer to that is follow Christ. That's what we need to do is follow Christ. Do or do not, there is no try. Eh, I don't know. I think his wisdom fails us on this one. I think Yoda's wisdom falls short on this. Who in here can follow Christ without fail? No, we can't, can we? Nobody can. Nobody can. It's impossible for us. Ponder again what the Almighty can do. Right? And it's right here. I didn't know we were going to have that hymn this morning. It's perfect. Ponder again what the Almighty can do. Christ said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible for us to do it. Some say the eye of a needle was a hole in the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And if you unloaded your camel and passed the load through and got the camel down on its knees, you could squeeze the camel through this hole in the wall. You know, that doesn't make any sense at all. I've actually, I've read that in some commentaries. I don't have those commentaries anymore. But (laughs) why would anybody do that? Why would I take everything off my camel, squeeze them through this little hole, when I can walk down right over here and go through the gate? It makes no sense. But what's even more ridiculous is it doesn't fit with what Christ said in the next verse. Christ said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's given us an impossible, an illustration of what's impossible. A camel does not fit through the eye of a needle. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Ponder again what the Almighty can do. He can. We can't. Only God can save us. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Give everything away. Sell it all. That doesn't earn our salvation. Peter's been listening to this. We get more encouragement here. Peter's been listening to this. And we're not told why he said what he did. He said, we've left all we had to follow you. We're not told why. We don't know what his motivation is. Whether he's looking for affirmation. Whether he was boasting. Whether he's just excited. This is my opinion, okay? Um, One possibility that I kind of like to lean on. I think he's just been listening to Christ talking to this rich young man and it's dawning on him and he's saying, Hey, Lord, wow, that's just what we did. We did that, didn't we? In fact, we're doing it now, aren't we? We left what we had. We're following you. Hey, that's good, right? I think that's where he, I think he's excited about this. Whatever his reason is, whatever his motivation was, the Lord affirmed him in his statement. And he finished that affirmation with, you will receive many times more in this time, in in our life right now. We will receive many more times. And in the age to come, eternal life. For whatever we give up to him now. That doesn't mean he's going to give us more money or more material things. It's up to him how he gives to us and what he gives to us. But we know he gives things like love, joy, peace, patience. Well, patience, I don't know. That's a tough one, right? But you know, really, honestly, and I know this for a fact because I live it, I'm much, much, much more patient now than I was before I trusted Christ. And I came to know him as an adult. And I know I was far from patient I'm not too close to it now, but I'm a lot closer than I was. 
faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. Love. We can't love without belonging to Christ. Peace. Isn't peace a wonderful gift? Oh, when we accept that gift from Him, I love it. It was my first favorite verse as a Christian. Peace I leave with you. John 14, 27. Before Christ went to the cross, He told His disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I still go to that a lot when I start to get anxious. And then through uh, Paul, I I had Peter on my mind, through Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 7, if we take our things, our issues, our problems, our our desires, give them to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving, what does he promise us? Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God He doesn't say he'll give us the direct answer to all our prayers, but he says he'll give us the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful place to be in peace. It's a great gift. Independent of what's going on around us, in our lives, it's a great gift. Peace. So our first man, the do-not man, he thought he knew he was so close, he thought he obeyed all the all the rules. He had it pretty well under control. He just wanted to verify, I want to lock this thing up. I want to seal the deal and get into eternal life in the kingdom of God. What can I do? He followed the law. He was probably in the synagogue every Sabbath. He probably was the biggest donor. I don't know. That's speculation. But clearly he wanted to know, how can I seal the deal? Is there something missing? And Christ said, yes. You haven't yielded to me. You haven't trusted me. Our second man this morning, he doesn't seem to have a question. We'll be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to skip a few verses and get to 19, the first 10 verses of chapter 19. I call this man the do man. Well, well, he has a name, Zacchaeus. I put it right here so I could remember it. Okay. Look at the first four verses here. This is the do man. He's more curious than anything else. The first four verses introduce us to what's going on here of chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He wasn't going to stay. A man there, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore fig tree, sycamore fig tree. What did I say? A sycamore fig tree, okay? Um, To see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Here's our man, Zacchaeus. He doesn't seem to have a question. He doesn't expect to talk to Jesus or to meet him. He just wants to see him. He's curious to get a look at this man who had such a reputation. He's never seen him before. Well, our two men this morning, they have something in common, a few things in common, right? Well, first of all, they're both rich. They're both rich, okay? They're both determined to see Christ. The first one wanted to talk to him. The second, just to see him. But they wanted to see who he is. They wanted to talk to him. They were both persistent to get what they want, which is not unusual with people who are rich. They're going to get what they want, okay? Our first man ran up, knelt down, and asked the question. I'm sure he must have interrupted somebody in that process, okay? Zacchaeus didn't do that. He just climbed a tree. 
so he could see. Did I mention they're both rich? Oh, yeah. Remember, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there actually are some manuscripts we have of our New Testaments that don't include rich in the description of a man. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a person to enter the kingdom of God. So we're included in that. And then remember the verse, our key verse. Ponder what the Almighty can do. In Luke 18, it's said this way, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay. So Zacchaeus is up in a tree. Christ is passing through Jericho. Look what happens. Look at the next couple of verses, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Okay, it's not too hard for me to understand that he might have noticed Zacchaeus up in the tree. I I don't suppose there were a a lot of grown men up in the trees as he walked through Jericho. So kind of stand out, right? But look, he calls him by name. How is this? Remember, Remember why he was in the tree? He was curious. He wanted to know what this guy looks like. Who is this guy everybody's... They've never met before. You ever just stop when you're reading Scripture and say, Wow. Who are you, Lord? Wow. Never seen him before in the flesh. But he knew him. He knew him and he knew him by name. And he called him by name. And that reminds me of when Christ was teaching about the good shepherd. Remember what he said about the good shepherd? The sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that what he's doing right here? He's looking at Zacchaeus. He calls him by name and he leads him out, at least so far out of the tree, right? And Zacchaeus obeys. He follows. Christ is our shepherd. He knows us. This is exciting stuff. He knows us. He knows you. And Zacchaeus is joyful. I'm sure he was excited. The crowds, however, ah, they're, not, they're not only not sure. They are sure. They're not pleased at all. Look at verses 7 and 8. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, He's obviously out of the tree now, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's more than that. He's a chief tax collector, so he has other of these guys working for him. And he was rich. He's rich because he took the money from his neighbors. People didn't like him. They didn't trust him. They considered him a thief at best, but he was worse than that. They considered him a traitor, and he pretty well fits that definition. He served Rome. He betrayed his own people. And if you were here a few weeks ago when Andrew introduced chapter 15 of Luke, he did a really good job of describing tax collectors and named Zacchaeus by name. Did an excellent job of describing. This man was a sinner and a traitor, and that's how people saw him. He's aiding and abetting the enemy, Rome. 
People did not like the fact that Christ is going to have anything to do with them at all. They didn't understand Christ. They didn't know why he was here. They didn't approve of what he's doing. Let's look again at Zacchaeus' response a little bit more. Verses 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus now is a child of God, part of the kingdom of God. Not because he was born a Jew, but because he is a man now who walks in faith as Abraham walked in faith. Question Is this fair? Think back, chapter 18, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and he offers to pay, give half of his money away and then repay people that he stole from four times. That's going a little above and beyond. The Old Testament required that he pay, pay back three times what he'd, what he'd stolen. He was asked to pay, he, he offered to pay four. But is this fair? The rich young guy, he had to pay everything. He had to sell everything. Zacchaeus only has to give half, plus how much more, we don't know. Rich people, two rich men, money in both passages, this has nothing to do with money. Only because money is part of our life is it even in here. Okay? But it's not about money. It's not about selling everything we have. It's not about what we do with what we have. It's not, how, how much, it's not about how much we give that saves us. 100%, 50%, 10%. It's about who we trust. It's about what we really trust. Where do we really put our trust? Is it in our savings account, in our homes, in our insurance programs, or is it our Lord? We do know Christ changes us. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we become a new creation. Zacchaeus trusted him, and he became a new man. He's giving away money without even being asked. Another question. Go back to verse 5 very briefly. Why did Jesus say, come down immediately, I must stay at your house? Why did he need to stay with him? Why did he single Zacchaeus out? He tells us the last verse in our passage this morning, verse 10. We'll start in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For, because, because the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay. I must stay at your house because I came to seek and save you. That's why I had to stay with him. That's why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek us. He came to seek us. That's how much God wants to have that relationship with us. What does all this mean to us? What are we supposed to do with all of this? Wow. We could spend another, another whole morning talking about that. The focus of this passage is not about money. It's not about how much we give. The focus is who and what we trust, 
who and what we love. The focus is to ponder God, who He is and what He can do. He is the only one who can give us eternal life. He's the only one who can truly give us love and joy and peace and patience, all of the fruits of the Spirit and much more. What we give, what we give back to Him in time and money and whatever we give back is simply an indicator to us a way we can measure who and what we trust, where we put our trust, how much we love. If you've already trusted Him this morning, and I I believe most all of us have, but not everybody, I'm sure, then our response is to praise the Lord. And then I'll just share with you what I've been doing since chapter 14, actually. Thank you, Dave, for that. That was a great message. Great truth. But it's God who gave it to us, isn't it? And He gives us this one as well. And what I've been doing is I've been asking Him more aggressively again in my life. Lord, what am I holding back? What am I selfishly clinging to that I don't even recognize? What do I have that I haven't been willing to share enough of to help others, to serve others in my church, other believers, other parts, or those who don't know Him yet? What what about my time, gifts, abilities, those kinds of things that I can use to help others? And what a great day to have the the deacons uh, announce that are heading up these different areas. What areas of a church that needs to function week by week by week that you might be able to help in? Let, let our leaders know these things. Okay? Serving the church, setting up, teaching, music, sound. Okay? Giving more, trusting more, based on what we want to give. Because we love Him. But if you're here this morning and you have questions, you're more like the rich young ruler perhaps, what must I do to be saved? Or, or perhaps you're like Zacchaeus, you're just a curious, want to, what's, this, what's this Christ really look like? Please don't be like the do not man, the rich man. He wanted to be saved, but he was not willing to humble himself and trust Christ. He walked away sad. But consider Zacchaeus. He's filled with joy. He's so excited about giving stuff away. Wow! His life has changed. He's a rich man now, no matter how much money he's left with. Remember, he, Christ, God our Father, loves us. He loves each one of us. He loves each of us. He wants the best for you, wants the best for us all. And truly, truly, he's the only one who can give it to us. He's the only one. So what's impossible with man, what is impossible with man, is possible with God. Ponder anew what God Almighty can do. I'm going to ask those of you who have a Zacchaeus name tag on to just stand up a moment, just briefly. And these are not the only ones who can answer questions for you, but if you're here today, and you have a question that you'd just like to talk to somebody about, or you're curious about, who is this Christ? What do I need to do to be saved? Why are you willing to give your life and your stuff to the Lord? Ask somebody with a Zacchaeus sticker. I thought about an ask me, but Zacchaeus seemed more appropriate this morning. He's so excited about loving his Lord. Thank you, let's pray. Heavenly Father, how do we thank you? 
You are our God, you are our Lord, you are our Master, and you love us and we can trust you for all things, in all ways. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't trust you more. Help us, Lord, to trust you more, to love you more, to love one another around us, our neighbors, to love those who know you, to love those who don't know you. Help us, Lord, to be your light, your shining light in this world that is so often dark. Fill us with your peace and love and joy and, yes, even patience that we might share those things with those around us, around us that they might have the joy of coming to know and love you and being part of our family, your family. Thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan.